read the scriptures. We'll turn tonight to Psalm 49. Psalm 49. I do encourage you as you read the psalm. I did inform you one time that George Miller said that uh, no passage of scripture is read unless we've read it a hundred times. And... Um, <coughs> Dr. John Douglas used to say, well, you should read the same passage at least ten times. Uh, now, we're only going to read it once, but I would encourage you, uh, if you have time tonight and would like something to read, uh, then certainly read again this 49th Psalm. Let's hear God's word together. Psalm 49, reading, of course, from the authorized version. Hear this, all ye people. Give ear, all ye inhabitants of the world both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak of wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall be of understanding. I will incline mine ear to a parable. I will open my dark saying upon the harp. Wherefore should I fear in the days of evil, when the iniquity of my heels shall compass me about? They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, None of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceaseth forever, that he should still live forever and not see corruption. For he that seeth that wise men die, likewise the fool and the British person perish, and leave their wealth to others. Their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. Nevertheless, man being an honour abideth not. He is like the beasts that perish. This their way is their folly. Yet their posterity approve their sayings. Selah, like sheep they are led in the grave. Death shall feed in them, and the upright shall have dominion over them in the morning. And their beauty shall consume in the grave from their dwelling. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Selah, be not thou afraid when one is made rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dieth, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. Though while he lived, he blessed his soul. And men will praise thee when thou doest well to thyself. He shall go to the generation of his fathers. They shall never see light. Man that is in honour and understandeth not is like the beasts that perish. Amen. We know that God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious, infallible word. Now my text tonight is taken from Psalm 49 and verses 8 and 9. It reads as follows, For the redemption of their soul is precious and is ceaseth forever, that he should live forever and not see corruption. 
We also read in verse 15, But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Selah. And my theme this evening is entitled, The Preciousness of Redemption. Now, many weeks ago, before Christmas 2017, I told you that the word precious was used in the Bible 72 times. That's a lot of references, of course, to the one word precious. And these references, of course, when you read them and study them, teach us about the things that are most precious to God. I've told you that the word precious means something that's highly valued, something that's greatly esteemed, something that's um, prized and treasured. And for five weeks I, I preached, I think, at least five sermons on that theme, the precious things of God. We've already thought about the precious thoughts of God, Psalm 139, verses 23, 24. The precious word of God, 1 Samuel 3 and 1, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. And what a treasure the word of God is. A word in our mother tongue, a word that we could read publicly as well as privately. Can we say, like, uh, Eglon uh, and Ehud, I, I have a word or a message from God for you. When we read, God speaks to us out of his word. His word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. We then thought about the precious blood of Christ. First Peter 1, the 18 and 19. And, of course, the doctrine of the shed blood lies at the very heart of the gospel. Without the shedding of blood is no remission. We thought about precious faith. True faith remembers a gift of God. We have obtained it. It's a gift. It's given by God himself. Think of the object of faith. The object of faith is always Christ. God in Christ. And of course, true faith operates because the Bible tells us faith worketh by love. We then thought about the precious promises of God. And there's thousands of them in the book. And they're very great and precious promises. Now tonight, I, I simply want to add to the list. I want to tell you something else that is precious in the heart and mind of God. And if you look with me at Psalm 49, verse 8, it says, For the redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceaseth forever. Now, in Psalm 49, we learn about the futility of living for the wealth of this world in light of one's pending death and facing God's eternity. You see, in Psalm 49, 1 to 4, you have got the psalmist's call to all people, regardless of the class or their culture. He calls for the peoples of the world to listen to him and to learn from him. And he wants to impart to them a word of wisdom. He wants to remind them about death that's coming. He wants to remind them that they're going to face God's eternity. And therefore they stand in need in light of that to be redeemed. Think of the psalmist's counsel, verses 5 to 12. He's really arguing not to aspire after, not to live for fame and fortune, not to focus or trust in the riches or wealth of this world. Why not? Because they'll not redeem you in the day of death. They'll not keep you out of hell. They'll not save your soul. I want you to think also of the psalmist's contrast. Because he lines up two classes of people, the wise man and the wicked man. 
the rich man and the redeemed man. And of course the rich man, uh, he uh, comes along and says, well, I've got me a name. I've got titles. I've got lands. I've got places and houses called after me. But in the mind of the psalmist, that man's really foolish. That, that man's really ignorant. Because even though he's rich, he's not rich toward God. And, and, and he's not redeemed. And therefore he has got no testimony. You see, Psalm 15, or Psalm 49, verse 15, is really the psalmist's personal testimony. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Think of the word my and, and me. The godly man looks away from himself to the Savior to redeem his immortal soul. He doesn't put his trust in his riches. And then think of the psalmist's conclusion, verses 16 through to 20. Here's the conclusion of the whole matter. It's hopeless and useless to live and die without God. Irrespective of what you have, whether you have a name, whether you've got titles, whether you've got lands, whether you've got houses, all it's going to happen. One day you'll be taken away from it. One day it'll all be left behind. And your riches, of course, will not benefit you when you depart from this world. It's literally, in the conclusion, the hopelessness of a life without God. The ungodly, of course, can take pride in their possessions and in their property and in their power and in their place and in their prestige. But in the end, it'll come to nothing. Why? Because when death comes knocking at their door, they'll leave it all behind. They'll carry nothing away with them. And tucked into the very midst of this 49th Psalm, amidst all the learning about the futility of living for wealth and riches and putting your trust in them without God is a message on the preciousness of redemption. And that's what we want to think about tonight. I want you to think of three things. I want you to think, first of all, of the price of redemption. If you look at our text, it says, for the redemption of their soul is precious. The price of redemption is precious. The word redemption and the word redeem in verse 15, it means to release by the payment of a price or to be set free by the payment of a ransom. And you see, that price is compulsory or, or essential. The Bible teaches us that every sinner has accrued a great load of debt to God. When we think of the question, what is sin? Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. Let's remember tonight that all sin is against God and all sin is a transgression of God's law. 1 John 3 and 4, sin is the transgression of the law. God has a moral law. God has a, a spiritual law. A, a, and of course, God's law applies to all men. It's universal. All men are required to love God with all their heart and soul and mind and strength. All men are required to obey God 
perfectly and sinlessly as far as the law is concerned. So God requires a perfect love and God requires a, a perfect obedience. So we, we know that advocates tell us that the law really doesn't matter. But the universal law of God, the moral law of God, stands to this day. You see, the law teaches us what sin is. The Bible tells us, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And when you study the law of God and all the uh, aspects of it, you see and learn the fact that you're a sinner and that you're a rebel to God and that you personally and daily have broken that law. And of course, we, we see this truth uh, coming out in the preaching of the Apostle Paul because Paul says in Romans chapter 3 and in the verse um, 10, uh, he, he says this, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They are together becoming profitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. He says in verse 20 of the same chapter, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Why? For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Individual sinners are persistently guilty and debtors to the broken law. You, you think of the Lord's Prayer. Um, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Our debts. You see, sin brings debt. And we owe God a great amount of debt. We have broken his law. We have transgressed his commandments. And that debt must be paid. And that debt must be paid in full. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And of course no man can be released until that ransom is paid in full. It's therefore compulsory. The price is essential. I want you to understand that. I want you to see, secondly, that, that the price is costly. You see, if you think of a man, and we'll pretend tonight he's in prison, and he owes the debt of a hundred pounds, how is he going to get out of prison? Well, there has to be a payment equivalent to the debt. So if he owes a hundred pound, then someone has to pay a hundred pound to get him out of prison, or a thousand pound. To get him out of prison. In other words, the payment is equivalent to the debt. Way over there in the book of Exodus, in chapter 30, verse 11 to 15, Moses was told by God in the numbering of the children of Israel that whenever they were being numbered, they, they couldn't be included in the number until a ransom price was paid. And the ransom price was half a shekel. So for every man, every boy, every young person, regardless of age, it was the same for all. The rich, the poor, the educated, the uneducated. There was, there was half a shekel for that individual to be numbered among the children of Israel. And the prey price was determined by God. That price could not be changed. That price was not altered. God, of course, remembers no respecter of persons. And what is true in that regard is true in regard to redemption. God required an exact price to be paid for the redemption of souls. Not only was it essential, 
But it wasn't just any price. It was an exact price. And what was God's exact price? Without the shedding of blood is no remission. It, it involved the death and the blood shedding of Jesus Christ in Calvary's tree. But this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down in the right hand of God. The Bible tells us, for God, 2 Corinthians 5.21, hath made him, that's Jesus Christ, to be what? Sin for us, who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Think of him in the tree as a substitute, as a sin bearer, as a surety to the broken law, as a sacrifice bearing the wrath of God, all to become our saviour. The Bible tells us, but he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord Jesus is the God-man. As our perfect redeemer came into the world and paid the exact price that God's law and holy justice and wisdom and love demanded that was necessary to fulfill God's broken law. You, you think of him on the cross enduring the full wrath of a sin-hating God and every ounce of God's holy justice was, was poured into the, the lovely breast of the Lord Jesus until he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And Christ paid the price in full that everyone who trusts him might enjoy a full and a free and forever pardon. Might have a full and free and forever justification and salvation because the merits of Christ, the price that Christ paid is put to the sinner's account. And on that basis alone, the sinner is set free. You go back to my analogy. Here's a man in prison. He's a debtor. He owes a hundred pounds. Someone comes along. Somebody, someone related to him. Or someone who's a stranger to him. And says I'll pay the man's debt. How much does he owe? A hundred pounds. Or a thousand pounds. And not until that is paid in full. Is the key turned. And that uh, man who's in prison. Is released. And that's what the word redemption means. It remains released by the payment of a price. We were singing, I am redeemed. And of course, that's a tremendous truth tonight. It's a beautiful hymn. Oh, praise the Lord. My soul from bondage free has found a, at last a resting place in him who died for me. The third verse says, the debt is paid. My soul is free, and by his mighty power, the blood that washed my sins away still cleanseth every hour. And the moment you trust Christ, you come and say, Lord, I'm a sinner, I need to be saved. And you, you, you ask Christ to save you. Then Christ puts the merits of his death, his bloodshedding, his righteous life to your account. And on that basis, you're redeemed. The psalmist could say, but God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. Is that your testimony? That was the psalmist's testimony. Have you a testimony at all tonight to, to this end, to the saving and keeping power of Christ? You've heard of Alexander the Great, uh, 3rd century BC. Alexander the Great was a young man who conquered the known world, I suppose, in that sense then. 
and uh, he, he cried one time because there was no more worlds as far as he was concerned to conquer. But he was very uh, fond of a Greek philosopher uh, named Diophrides. And he was so impressed with this Greek philosopher that he, he said to him, uh, thinking of his wisdom and knowledge, Diophrides, you ask me what I shall give you, and I'll give you anything you want. And here was his answer. Uh, Alexander... Can you give me the least part of immortality? Of course, Alexander replied, well, well, that's not my gift to give. I'm not a god. And this was Diophrey's reply. Then why do you spend your life conquering lands, acquiring wealth and titles, when none of that can give you even the least part? Of immortality. In other words, why do you spend your life on that which is not really important? Because really important to know about the immortality of your soul. And of course that ties in to this thought, I am redeemed. Can you say that tonight? I want you to tell you something else about the price of redemption that's precious. The price is correct. In other words, it's exclusive. There's no other price. John 14 and 6, Jesus saith, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. But by me, there's no road to God. There's no revelation of God. There's no remedy from God. And this is despite every effort that man makes. You see, God will not accept any other price. Did he accept Cain's offering? No. Why? Because it was an offering without blood. You see, this offering that, that, that God requires, God has set the terms of the offering. In other words, it's exclusive. And you see, that was the psalmist's argument in verses 6 and 7. He says, They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, None of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. Why? Because or for the redemption of their soul is precious. The redemption of their soul that's precious involves this exact, exclusive, essential price. Carnal man can offer to God Present to God the very best that he has. The, the reference, I believe, to wealth and riches is probably tying into the mindset, well, if I bring gold and silver, surely God will be impressed by that. that. That's the best that man has. But it's all excluded. Over there in the book of Job, and this is what Job said in Job 36 and verses 18 and 19, because there's wrath, beware, lest he take thee away with a stroke. Then a great ransom cannot deliver thee. Will he esteem thy riches? No. Not gold, nor all the forces of strength. It's interesting, of course, over in Peter, we read again the words, For as much as you know that you're not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. You think this evening of getting a phone call 
maybe in the middle of the night, and it's from the fire brigade. You've been told you've got two or three hours to evacuate your house. There's a fire raging in your direction. And you've got to go through all your property and your stuff. And you've got to decide in a few hours what to take and what to leave. You've got a lifetime of stuff. Wouldn't that teach you something about the value of riches? Wouldn't that teach you about the vanity of riches, especially in light of eternity? And of course this has happened, not in our lands, but over in places like California and other parts of Canada and the United States of America. But I lift up the illustration. Is man not in danger of hellfire? Men who value riches. Men, men who have laid hold upon the vanity of riches. Men who have forgotten they've got an immortal soul that will live forever. Men who have forgotten that they're a sinner. And they have no concept or idea that, that a, a price has been paid for redemption. And, and they can take that price and they can receive it to themselves. And have the assurance that fills their heart and mind. And have the testimony like David. The price of redemption is precious. I want you to think, secondly, and very quickly, the power of redemption is precious. Notice the words in verse 8, and it ceaseth forever. I'm convinced that the commentators that take the line that this is a reference that once the price is paid, it's paid once and for all. In other words, it's unrepeatable. It's ceased. It's no more required. And we were singing tonight, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. You see, remember the Lord Jesus on the cross cried out, it is finished. It is finished. And of course it's the one word, tetelestai, meaning done and complete. And once the ransom price is paid, then there's nothing more required. If you look with me at verse 15, it says, But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. I want you to think there, the word power in the margin of the Bible is translated hand. From the hand of the grave. I want you to think tonight of the grip and force of death. I believe death is a power. We get asked the question, O death, where is thy sting? Death is like a hand that clutches around the soul that takes a grip upon the soul, to carry the soul away down into the grave. And, 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 and death is a grip so much so that the individual has no ability or power or strength of himself to shake that off or, or, or to escape its clutches. It's an awful grip. And that, that hand of death is pulling individuals down to the grave. And not only down to the grave, but down to hell itself. Because the word here, grave, is sheol. And it means not only the place of death, but the place of damnation. And you think of the context. In this contrast, because that's where this portion is. That's where the psalmist's testimony is. In this contrasting portion, the death of the, 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 the godless man. 
and, and his demise from this scene of time and the despair that he feels because he's, he's trusted in riches. The Bible speaks, as I've said, about, O death, where is thy sting? And the reference is to a venomous beast that has bitten you. And just like a venomous beast, like a snake that has bitten you and has a, a deadly bite. So, so death can be like that. Death can have an awful impact. Even the impact like a serpent's bite from which there's no escape, from which there's no remedy. And I want to tell you tonight, the power of the grave is great. And you can't escape being brought down to the grave. You, you can't stop it because that day is appointed. The Bible tells us there over in the book of Hebrews and as it is appointed unto men once to die and after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to, to bear the sins of man. But I want to tell you something else. The power of hell is great. It's even greater than the grave. And there's no exits. And there's no escape. And what is the psalmist telling us here? That because the price has been paid once and for all and it's unrepeatable, it has ceased. God will redeem my soul from the hand of the grave. God will redeem me from the very horrors of death. God will redeem me from hell itself. I will experience, because I'm redeemed, a full and complete deliverance. I have no fear of death. I have no fear of hell. Doesn't Zechariah 3 and 2 speak about a man plucked as a brand from the burning, plucked out of the very fire? Why? Because of the power of redemption that's precious. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. I want you to think lastly and in closing, the prospect of redemption is precious. If you think of verse 15, it says, for he shall receive me. Selah. He shall receive me. You know, he'll receive you now. Personally. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Isn't it written in the scriptures? He came unto his own, and his own received him not, but as many as received him. To them give he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. If you're saved tonight, if you have trusted Christ in the sight of God, not in the sight of men, because men don't understand it, but in the sight of God, God views you as one of his sons and one of his daughters. Isn't this what John reveled in? Isn't this the dignity and destiny of every true child of God? He says over there in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, Beloved, now, at this very present time, are we the sons of God? And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And of course it's true. John Calvin said what we behold will have a great effect in what we become. We must therefore be constantly making progress both in the knowledge of God and conformity of the image of Christ. He shall receive me, and he'll receive you now. And if he has received you, then remember who you are and what you are in his sight. He'll also receive us at death. Psalm 23, verse 4. 
Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You, you think of how the rod and staff comforted Stephen. Remember the first martyr, Acts chapter 7. You, you think of the rocks raining down on his body, impacting on his flesh. You, you think of the, 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 the crunch of the bones. You think of the bruises. You think of the blood. And as those stones and rocks hurled in upon his body, there's the death of a Christian. What did he cry? Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He had the prospect of redemption. Receive us at death. He'll also receive us at his return. John 14 and 3 says, um, and, and if I come again, I'll receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. When Jesus Christ comes back again, he's going to receive all who is in him unto himself. And, and on that very day, we'll be able to um, experience our, our final redemption. I think about the two men that are in heaven uh, that never seen death, Elijah and Enoch. And I believe they're, they're there as vivid and powerful assurances that all in Christ will experience a final redemption. There'll be the redemption of their soul. But there'll also be the redemption of their body. Do, do you know that that body that you live in at this moment, that may pass under the pains of death for a time, but that's not the end of the body. The body's going to be saved. You're going to get a new body like on the Christ body. It's not a glorious truth. It's not something to sweeten uh, even the sting of death. Remember what uh, Paul could say there in uh, Romans. He said, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for what? Waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. Now, if you're in Christ... That's the prospect that awaits you. He's already received you because you've trusted him. He'll receive you at death. He'll not leave you alone. He'll receive you at his return and he'll bring this final redemption experience to pass. But if you're not in Christ, that's not your prospect. That's not your end. Like these Men who live for wealth and riches. You can live and die in a spirit of hopelessness. Look with me for a moment at verse 6. Or very first 5 rather. Wherefore should I fear in the days of evil when the iniquity of my heels shall compass me about? And what does that mean? Some commentators suggest that's the enemies that's in the heels of the psalmist. Or, or the enemies in the heels of the men who are rich and depending on their wealth. I have to say I don't see it that way. I see it a different way. When the iniquity of my heels shall compass me about. Think of the dusty roads in ancient Palestine and ancient Israel. Think of the dirt and grime sticking to one's heels, uh, even through those open sandals. Uh, and what he's saying is this, Wherefore should I fear in the days of evil when the iniquity of my heels shall compass me about? Because he's thinking, remember this is the psalmist speaking, they that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother and a gift of God a ransom for him for the redemption of their soul is precious. And remember he is a testimony, but God will redeem my soul. You see, 
he, he knows all about the iniquity of his heels. He's already confessed it to God because that dirt that, that has clung to him on the road, the, the, the dirt and dust of the road, has reminded him of, of how sin clings to him and how he needed to be rescued and redeemed even from that sin. There's a story told about the philosopher Aristotle. Did you know that he said at the end of his life, I have lived in hopelessness, I am dying in despair, and I know not where I am going. And how many wise men, so-called, professors and philosophers, wealthy men, men who are millionaires and billionaires, well-heeled men of the world who know nothing about the iniquity of my heels, who know nothing about their sin, and, and they live in hopelessness. They're, they're really living in despair. And they have no concept or idea of where they will spend eternity. They've never been saved. They've never been penitent. They've never repented and, and been grieved and offended that they've transgressed God's law. They've never trusted in Christ or, or turned to him or sought redemption through the blood. Napoleon was speaking to a baron on one occasion. They were in an art gallery and they were viewing some artwork. And the baron talked to Napoleon about this immortal piece. Napoleon asked the baron, well, how long will this piece last? Oh, maybe 500 years. And here's a sculpture and it's also an immortal piece. Oh, yes, Napoleon. Well, how long will it last? Well, it could last a thousand years. And then Napoleon said this, call that Immortality. Only God has immortality. And those in him. Is that your testimony? How will you live and die in a state of hopelessness and despair? You don't need to. Because if you realise the iniquity of your heels, your, your sin, and you, you repent of it, and you turn to Christ and you trust him. And you seek redemption through his blood. In whom we have redemption through his blood. Even the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Then what a difference in a prospect you have. The prospect is this. For he shall receive me. Have you received him? Would you look forward to receiving you in death? Do you look forward to his return? Or will you die in a state of hopelessness? and despair, not knowing where you're going. May the Lord take these few words and thoughts and bless them to your heart this evening.